could call Brittany any hour of the day and, and ask for help, I will get 100% of her her attention to take care of what I've asked. Yeah, you, you're not going to find that with a broker. The voice you heard at the top was that of Idaho-based owner-operator Brian Bent, in business for himself now for a couple of years. Owner-operator Bent was talking about his reliance on a trusted partner, California-based Brittany Dispatch, independent dispatcher Brittany Hamstreet, who provides a load negotiation and other support service for several independents, mostly based out in the West. I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of Overdrive Radio for December 4th, 2020, we'll hear from both Hamstreet and Bent about their take on the Transportation Intermediaries Association's request to FMCSA to, in some ways, clear up the gray area in which all independent dispatchers operate today as agents of sorts to multiple carriers. There is no direct definition of dispatchers as a regulated entity that comports to what folks like Hamstreet do for carriers today, limiting themselves to broker negotiation and basic dispatch functions, but working with well more than a single carrier. The Transportation Intermediaries Association, or TIA as I'll call them, wants that ability for a dispatch provider to work with more than one carrier to be scuttled in official interpretation. In cases where a dispatch service is working with more than a carrier, TIA said in its petition, it wants FMCSA to, quote, require a brokerage license and compliance with the financial responsibility requirements applicable to brokers, end quote. That's the uh, $75,000 minimum uh, bond requirement. And the quote goes on, quote, especially where the dispatch service is handling freight money due to the motor carrier from the shipper, end quote. Justin Taylor, head of the Merge Transit Dispatch Service with scores of small carriers and owner ops using its technology and working with its company, uh, working with the company, knows that a brokerage authority is not exactly difficult or all that costly to set up and maintain. His company actually does have its brokerage license set up as a matter of prudence early in its existence, he said, and a way to get beyond some broker's refusal to negotiate with a multi-carrier dispatch provider without an MC number. Yet, he also knows that brokering freight is not what his company is doing. Quote, I got the broker authority and I saw how pointless it is if dispatchers get lumped into that category, end quote. At the same time, Taylor and others believe that some kind of definition in regulation is needed, if for no other reason than to distinguish the real service providers from the shady bad actors advertising themselves as independent dispatch services. There's more discussion to come in that regard. First, though, we'll take a step back with Brittany Hamstreet for a tour through how her business came to be in the first place. Its origins were in her work with a small fleet owner who she learned quite a lot from as he built it from a single truck up to around eight units. Before we get there, though, a quick word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor, the First Guard Insurance Provider. If you're a leased owner-operator, you need quality insurance to keep you protected. Call First Guard for the commercial truck insurance you need and the service you deserve. First Guard is the trucker's insurance company. We understand your needs and offer physical damage and non-trucking liability insurance for leased owner-operators. With First Guard, you always get fast and friendly service. Visit firstguard.com. That's the number one, stguard.com. First Guard, we speak trucker. Let's talk. Here's Brittany Hamstreet. So I got started. Um, I first started doing dispatching in 2000 and 
2012, 2013, I went to work for a company. He came to our home to do an interview with my, um, my youngest son's father. And he liked the way that I was organized and wanted me to bring that back to his office. So in trade for getting him organized and keeping him organized, he taught me how to dispatch by handing me a login code for truck stop and said, figure it out. This is what this truck can do. So I kind of got thrown <laughs> to the fire on learning how to be a dispatcher. And uh, we got him built up to eight trucks. In six months of me being there, he hit his first $1 million mark, which was really exciting for us. Uh, but he taught me a lot of things that you didn't want to be in this industry about how to treat people and how to conduct business. Um, I learned a lot of things that I didn't want to do. So when I left, I tried to continue on with the dispatching, but with the little experience that I had, um, it's really hard to get your foot into the door in the industry. And I moved home, I had my son, and I uh, went to work for the truck stop. I worked off and on for the truck stop, so I got to see that side of the industry as well. And then. You actually worked at a truck stop, is that what you were saying? Yeah, I was a manager at the truck stop in, in Bakersfield, yeah, yeah. California. Yeah, Okay. I was a shift lead. They called us gotcha. the shift manager, but did uh, graveyards, broke up a couple of fights, you know, uh -huh. did the, the whole babysitter routine. He's parked too close to my truck. I don't like it. The whole nine yards, it was fun. And you see a different side of the industry, so you kind of gain that, that, um, that empathy for um, – what they go through when they're not driving. So you kind of get to see yeah. how boring it can get and the waiting and the, the lack of communication. So I learned a lot there too that I apply to what I do as, as a dispatcher. I moved up to Sacramento, tried to, I uh, worked for a company, an Eastern European owned company out of Chicago and uh, worked with him for about six months. And apparently I charged him too much money. <laughs> so we parted ways and um, I wasn't working for him as a dispatcher. I was working for him, um, not as an independent dispatcher, but I was actually working for his company exclusively at the time. An agent, yeah, like a dispatcher. Yeah. Yep, he gave me four trucks, and I, I ran those guys. Um, and then I moved, uh, moved on to try to become a police dispatcher. I wanted to serve my community, and um, that didn't work out. So I had to find another alternative about – Two weeks after I got the letter that I had bombed my interview because I was too excited to, to do my first interview as a police dispatcher for the city of Sacramento, um, my buddy calls me and he says, hey, I've been stuck in Reading for three days. He goes, this gal that I was trying to kind of give her a leg up, told her, you know, why doesn't she dispatch me trying to help her out? She's left me hanging. She won't answer her phone. Will you please help me? And 20 minutes later, I had him alone at own going back to uh, Arizona, back towards home. And he was ecstatic. And then from there, he brought me three more. And then um, they've come and gone over the years as their needs have changed. You know, sometimes it works as a temporary solution for them to learn how to be more independent. Other times, they just don't want to worry about what's going on. They just want to be able to drive their truck and, and have somebody else do the paperwork. Those are usually the old school right. truck drivers. They just want someone else to deal with all the stuff <laughs> um but so that was may of 2016 and i've just been learning and growing and adapting and dealing with um you know i've worked for numerous companies some of them i don't work with companies with company drivers anymore i used to uh just too much to deal with having to feel like you're 
trying to be respectful of somebody else's equipment for the person that's in the truck when they just have no respect for the equipment. So it's just, it's completely different dynamic when you're working with owners so or company drivers. So I just dispatch owner operators now. The group of guys that I have now is probably the best group of gentlemen that I have ever worked with. And uh, I'm very, very grateful. <laughs> Are they, are, they, are, they, are they mostly uh, headquartered in your area, or um, does it uh, range uh, fairly more far afield? Well, I can work with anybody anywhere in the lower 48. Yeah. Um, I just have um, more, you know, word of mouth spreads obviously closer towards home. So yeah. I do have three trucks out of Idaho. I've got a part-timer in Washington. I've got actually two part-timers in Washington. Um couple of trucks out of California. One of my guys just recently relocated to Lincoln, Nebraska. And that is a really interesting story because my connections actually gave him the boost to step out from a lease operation where he was leased onto um, an acquaintance of his and move on to his own company. Now he runs his own company and is making his own decisions, which is fantastic. You know, there have been efforts like... Uh like what we see now officially from uh, Transportation Intermediaries Association to kind of just point out that there are um, there are there are sort of holes in uh, the way the, the regs are structured now that don't really they don't really account for uh, folks that are doing this in in any real way uh, and they're correct. And it's kind of, yeah, and and they're right, right? Um, I, I think they're absolutely right. And this is something that my associates and I, other independent dispatchers who formed a group to kind of self-govern, you know, we operate in a very gray area and we absolutely would love to have a definition, um, but not a definition that restricts us to working with one carrier. Um, no. We do believe that a definition is needed, but for the reason of, we are not brokers and those that they're trying to to target are absolute they're, they're right on track with where they need to be targeting those people are doing shady business practice practices they're utilizing information that is not yours potentially compromising their their carrier information um and the root of it all goes back to dispatch training classes these people who are selling this get rich quick scheme they're doing now as an independent dispatcher for example if i have a carrier who has a direct customer okay they come to me they already have an established direct customer i don't solicit direct customers for them we right. we establish a, a responsibility that that is not mine i don't get money from that i am simply right. finding return loads uh what they're doing is they're using that carrier and then they're taking the load list that they get on behalf of that carrier. And then they are taking those loads and they are offering them out on Facebook. They are heavily, heavily utilized Facebook for these operations that are a hundred percent illegal. They're operating yeah. as an illegitimate broker. So I agree with the TIA that that needs to be shut down. But the only way to shut that down is to give the legitimate dispatchers who are out here trying to help people trying to help owner operators maintain their independence, we need to give them, us, a definition. So while I agree with what they're saying, there's no way for us to be able to stand for a definition allowing for one carrier. We need to be able to work with multiple carriers um, as an independent agent. 
with that being said, we should be able to be allowed a dispatcher in the definition as it's described from the FNCSA is more in reference to one, like a company, like a hired company um, dispatcher, somebody who's in a hired employee position. I have a set of skills. I don't have any one place to uh, one place to apply them to, but by allowing me to be able to apply them to multiple owner operators who most of them have become friends. That's why I said I have a really good group of guys now. Um, right. By allowing us to apply that to multiple operators, it keeps our lo- it lowers their costs, allows us to be able to make a living doing this. It's not getting rich by any means. We're comfortable, but we're not getting rich. And if the TIA would be willing to work with us in the verbiage of what they're asking for, and um, we could work together with the TIA to get a definitive definition that will not be detrimental to to myself or my carriers who depend on me, um, right. who do need my service, then absolutely, I'm I'm 100% willing to work with the TIA. I tried to reach out to them. I already did, and uh, reach out to the the committee leader who uh, dealt with the submission of this this request of the FMCSA. Uh, but I didn't hear back from anybody. I, I really yeah. feel like they don't understand fully what we do um, and how it should be done legitimately because there are these right. people who are doing it with shady business practices. And this is not the only uh, not-so-above-board scenario stakeholders see at play and of interest when it comes to regulating dispatch providers potentially doing so. Double brokering, too. When an individual acting on behalf of a carrier turns around and rebrokers the load he's been tendered by another broker, that's not a sketchy practice that is only the provenance of unscrupulous ditch p- dispatch providers, however, as uh, SmartHop, uh, a dispatch service, uh, SmartHop's Guillermo Garcia pointed that out when we talked this week. Plenty owner-operators and brokers have pointed to carriers, not dispatch providers, double brokering loads after agents misrepresented their intentions to act as a carrier with another broker. Putting dispatch services with more than one carrier client under the authority uh, and bonding regime of brokers, as the TIA wants uh, FNCCA to do, may serve to weed out those who might be cutting hair in a salon one day, then posting brokered loads on Facebook for the first available carrier the next said both Ham Street and Merge Transit's uh, Justin Taylor, yet both two were skeptical whether that would really put a dent in the unethical behavior of bad actors. Putting such dispatch entities under the broker authority regime, for those operating unethically already, as Taylor put it, quote, now they'll just be somewhat legally doing it when it comes to double brokering a shipper or a broker's load. As we've covered extensively in the past, look up our Broker Reforms series from early in 2020 at OverdriveOnline.com. It's clear the bonding and broker authority requirement hasn't served to eliminate bad actors from the brokerage space either, as Garcia with uh, dispatch provider SmartHop uh, also underscored. Brittany Hamstreet, though, remains hopeful the dispatch service definition that included the ability to serve multiple small carriers, in her case exclusively independent owner-operators, could give ethical dispatch providers an acknowledged place in the business. The bad actors give the good ones, she knows, uh, a terrible name. The independent dispatchers, uh, quote-unquote, group that she uh, mentioned earlier, it's a Facebook discussion group, uh, essentially. She's helped build as perhaps a precursor to something more formal, more public, official, 
something Justin Taylor has also expressed as needed, a standards body or association that could better define and self-enforce a code of ethical conduct among dispatching services. Yeah, so we're talking about trying to create something um, more public, more um, open, but we are very busy people. So having to fit that into, you know, our schedules as it is, we're available 24-7 for our carriers. So I could get a call at 7 o'clock at night and, you know, have to walk away from making dinner and take it. When you're looking around in consideration of any dispatcher on ops, Ham Street offered these suggestions too on spotting those doing things the wrong way. The first thing that you want to look for is you want references, especially from longtime clients. You really want to ask for references. And I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch the um, interview that I sent to you that I did back in May, but I do touch yeah, on that interview as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you really want to look for references. You want to talk to the people that they're working with if they have. Um, you know, a network, you want to know if they have an established network, maybe even get, if they have a regular broker that they work with, ask for a reference from, you know, a broker. You want to make sure that you cover your bases with your references. Otherwise, um, they should have absolutely nothing to do with your direct clients. I cannot solicit a a client, um, a customer for a client. So for example, I'll give you an example. I have um, the gentleman that I was talking with you about, he um, he wanted to work for All Weather Wood before they changed their insurance requirements. He wanted to work for All Weather Wood, and I told him, you are more than welcome to do that. I will work around it. I will do your invoicing, but I cannot solicit this customer for you. I said, yeah. you're going to have to choose, pick and choose exactly what you want to do for them, but I cannot solicit that customer for you, and you just let me know what you need from me. And so he he went ahead and tried to get set up with them. We did the paperwork, sent it in. Everything was in his name. Everything was in, you know, with his email, his contact information. Nothing, nothing of it had anything to do with me because that's how it needs to be. So if somebody like a dispatcher is talking to you about potentially using their service, check their references, read their contract. You should not be locked into a contract for any length of time. I don't believe that it's something that's appropriate for us to be doing like a brokerage. We shouldn't be locking people into contracts as the industry changes and needs change. And also make sure that you are not allowing allowing them to do direct freight for you. They should have very, very little outside of maybe updating their information with, with that company, with that shipper or doing the invoicing, we should really have no contact in the initial solicitation. So if they're doing that, then you, that's, that is a huge red flag. Offering loads on Facebook is another huge red flag. We should, we don't have loads. We have carriers. We're not contracted to haul freight. We're contracted to move that truck and make sure that, that all of his paperwork is legitimate and good for him to be able to operate safely. Once you're dealing with uh, shippers, you're a broker, basically, or you're a carrier. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, um, they're finding ways around it. Yeah. But a lot of it is enforcement from the FMCSA. Once we have a definition, once we have a definition of exactly what we can and cannot do when it comes to handling those direct shippers for our clients, once that definition is established, then the FMCSA, it's up to them 
to do their job and enforce it. Because right now, with the way that they're operating, they could go after every single one of these people who's on Facebook and soliciting loads as a dispatch service. At least they should be able to. It's technically illegal brokering. But the SMCSA hasn't really made that hasn't really made that effort to do that. Sound familiar? Action against bad actors in both brokerage and dispatch spaces is often a private matter. Owner ops and others left to press cases of non-payment in court or via a registered broker's bonding company on brokered load cases. If multi-carrier dispatch services were required to be bonded like brokers, those bonds would be an avenue for non-payment issues, but that's not exactly the problem that above-board dispatchers see with unethical or illegal behavior among these businesses, necessarily. Hamstreet and Taylor both described deceptive, overhyped marketing. Hamstreet told of a dispatch service that lured in people off the street with promises of getting rich quick doing dispatching, with horror stories that ensued after. Yeah, they didn't make the money they uh, thought they would. Justin Taylor emphasized how false promises also lure in owner-operators to work with the bad actors. Quote, Carriers really do want to believe the guys that say they can get 6000 to 8000 a week in a $4,000 market. Then they get burnt by them. Then they think all dispatchers are crooks, basically. Regulation could help, he said, but he's skeptical. Hamstreet, for her part, believes a federal definition that allows for multi-carrier dispatch services could put these carrier support businesses on Main Street and allow those practicing ethically, ethically today uh, to continue operating without much disruption and thus separate themselves from, from the bad actors. It would give us that, that platform to be able to say, if we see something, we can now say something because once we are defined, you know, obviously in a way that's not going to be detrimental to, to what we were, we're already doing, but to draw that line in the sand and say, if you're talking to or negotiating with or moving loads for a direct shipper and you are not licensed as per, as a broker should be, then now you are in, you step over that line and you're out of a independent dispatcher or dispatch service definition. And now you fall into the yep. broker category. Now you're operating illegally and you can be punished. And we absolutely want that because right. I am so, I'm so frustrated with seeing people lose money and ruin relationships with shippers because they've given the wrong person their information. You know, it's our responsibility to protect our, our carriers, to protect their privacy, to protect them from fraud. There's a lot of things that we do that people don't realize. We don't just find them loads. <laughs> you know, we do a lot and a lot of it is just to protect our clients from potential fraud and, um, uh, to help them attain, you know, their financial goals. The industry is ever changing and the needs of a company change from day to day, you know, from week to week when the season changes, maybe they want to get out from under a flatbed and they want to go haul cows, you know, so it's, uh, it has to be versatile to fit in with what they need. So to make it that way, I don't have a contract. I have what I call a agreement and it's basically here's your responsibilities Here's my responsibilities. If you mess up like this, I'm not responsible for it. And at the end of the day, this is how much you pay me. And I only, I only make money when I produce. I don't, they're not sitting paying me in an office for eight hours a day or part-time in an office. They don't have to train me. I already know how to do the job. So cost-wise for them, it's really effective the lowest cost that I've come across so far when leasing onto a carrier was a company called Nag Carriers out of Georgia. They charge 10%, but 
You had to have your own truck and trailer and you had to self-dispatch yourself. All you got from them was insurance and a fuel card and then you got paid. That was it. And they did your paperwork. But even then, time sensitive, it wasn't quick enough. If they did fill out the paperwork, I was constantly pushing them. So it's nice to be able to have complete control for these owner operators to have complete control and everything that I do just custom tailored to how they want it done. So it gets done quicker, it gets done more efficiently and it gets done completely. And they're doing exactly what they want to do. They get to go where they want to go, haul things that they want to haul, not haul things that they don't want to haul. They are the captain of the ship. I'm just the first mate is the way that I look at it. We're always fighting against people calling us thieves and liars. And that's not, not who we are. And I'd like to have that definition because I'm tired of helping people and doing a really good job at it (laughs) and then being called a liar from somebody who doesn't understand what we do and what it means to the people we do it for. Brittany was kind enough to give me a clearer window on that with the owner-operator of Mountain West Transportation, who you heard at the top, out of Idaho, Brian Bent. Mountain West Transport. Brian's probably one of my most uh, safety and preventative maintenance-conscious carriers that I work with. He And I figured he would have a lot of good insight. Um, I asked all of my carriers to sit down and write out why I'm important to them and what I do for them and how it affects their lives to include in my submission to the FMCSA. And Brian was the first one to send it back. I would not survive. Uh, Here's what would happen. If I lost Brittany, I would be forced to go back and be leased on with somebody and run a a dedicated hall, which I don't like doing. Um, I like being out here. I like being independent. Um, You know, she, uh, with what she does, she stays two days ahead of me on loads. Um, Everything clicks. She makes things work. Are you doing almost all of the loads that you move are are going through uh, Brittany, or do you have uh, some of your own customers as oh, well? Oh no, no, no. I use I no, I use Brittany. Brian's okay. the one that I was telling you when I I talked with you about all weather wood and what happened with them. Oh yeah, yeah. I used that example. That was that was Brian's company. What ended okay. up happening with that one was the insurance requirements were just astronomical for a small a small single operation. So that's why we had to back away from that one. But that's who I was talking about with that example. Brian, tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about your, uh, uh, your business and uh, how how long you've been, uh, been, been trucking uh, on your own with, with your authority now. Uh, sure. Um, I'm an owner operator. I own one truck, one trailer. Um, I've been doing it now for, I think right at two years. Um, I've been driving for 33 years and decided to do this on my own, and um, uh, I don't regret any of it. Uh, I don't look back and wish I hadn't have done it, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been good. But then, like I said, uh, when I come across Brittany, um, I don't have any reason to go any, anywhere else. Because I, when I first started this, I was I was leased on, then quickly got away from it, and then went to their broker side. Mm-hmm. Used them for a while, um, and uh, even running for directly for a broker uh, was not a good thing for me. Um, it, it definitely wasn't a fair shake um, by any means. And then when uh, I came across Brittany, um, everything just fell into place, and she was willing to do 
a whole lot more than anyone else would do to help me out. Um, like, she takes care of everything. Um, I hardly ever... The only time I'm on the phone is if I'm on the phone with her. And now you. Right. <laughs> so, um, right. she takes... Yeah, she takes care of a lot of things for me. Two years ago, it's when you bought your first truck or had you had trucks leased on yep. before that? No. Okay. Uh, no. Two years ago, I bought my first truck, got my gotcha. authority, and, and, and took off with it. So... Right. Yep. I bought a 2015 Peterbilt 579 and a uh, Western trailer, a 48102 uh, spread axle. I run flatbed. Yeah, I'm getting ready to buy a new trailer, yep. You want to try to keep, when it comes to brakes and everything, if you've got a, a tractor that is drum brake, then stay with the trailer that is drum brakes because then that, okay. that is a, a package deal. This tractor has all disc brakes and the trailers are drum, so you can feel the difference in the braking. So I need to, I would like to purchase a new trailer with disc brakes. And then right. I have a, a solid package is what I would call it. I mean, it's, it breaks differently. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm being safe. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've heard that over, over time, uh, those disc brakes really pay off. Um, they do. Um, I did uh, on the tractor. I went 520,000 miles on a set of disc brakes. Wow, that's unheard of. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. How long ago? How how long into your into your um, uh, business was it before you you found Brittany? And then yeah, kind of why why you did why you did that? Um, if there was anything in particular that spurred you on there and. You know, can you quantify the difference that she's made in your business? Oh, a few questions uh, okay. There. Yeah. Let's, okay. Let's start <laughs> with the first one. Okay, so I yeah. was into my, I was running under my authority, I do believe, for roughly five months, and realized. Okay. Um, um, and what pushed me away from uh, Arco Freight is. Um, I didn't think they were being very fair with me, and so okay. I reached out. I reached out. Uh, and um, actually, uh, I googled uh, dispatchers, and she came up, and I called her. Um, no. That's, oh no. Oh no. That's that's that's. You right. were referred to me I, by OTR. They gave you two dispatchers, that's, and that's the one right. dispatcher <laughs> sent you her contract, and she required you to pay her if you left before the one-year term. <laughs> She required you to pay her $250 because I remember how mad this made me when I found about, out about it. And she required you to pay her $250 a month to the end of the term if you left her before your right. term was up. That's anyway, right. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> God, you remember everything. So, okay. So, that, yeah, that's right. And I think she was back in the Midwest anyways. But then um, – okay. Kentucky. Um, yeah, oh, there it is. So, um, since since I, uh, you know, Brittany and I have come together, um, so much. She's made my life easier when it comes to any type of paperwork, um, yeah. permits, um, driver uh, driver packages for the brokers. She takes care of all of that. I don't have to do any of that. Um, like I said, uh, all my phone calls are. Uh, she takes care of all of it. Um, yep. Uh, again, yep. if I didn't didn't have her, um, my life would definitely change. So, and I'd yep. be back. Um, how would I? I wouldn't say I'd be miserable. <laughs> I just, 
I wouldn't be happy with what I'm doing. I'd be I'd be trying to find another another dispatcher, which there is no reason to find another dispatcher. Brittany's it. So right. Yeah. Um, but um, in terms of in terms of like rates on the loads you're moving, um, she she uh, able to to do a bit uh, better of a job um, in terms of negotiating than uh, what um, you were able to do in the time you had. You know, or maybe you weren't in that same position before. Uh, I was not in that same position. Uh, this yeah. is it. This is what you're getting, and this is what you're going to yeah. run with. This is what we're putting on your back, and you take it. Uh, with yeah. Brittany, she'll call me and ask me, "Hey, this is what they want." Um, that's what they want to pay. Do you want to do this? I mean, she asked me if I want to do this. And it's a yay or nay. Um, or I'll tell her, God, I don't want to tarp for free. Can you get a couple extra dollars out of them? And that might come about and she'll ask him, hey, he would he likes to yeah. do it, but he was wanting to know will you pay for the tarping. Uh, that's an either yes or a no. So, yeah. but but that's what she does for me. She my front man, you know, he takes care of me. Thanks to owner-operator Brian Bent, Brittany Hamstreet for their time, likewise Guillermo Garcia of the Smart Hop Dispatch Provider, Justin Taylor of Merge Transit. I know that you can comment on FMCSA's request for information relative to TIA's petition. It also includes that topic of so much discussion this year, the 49 Code of Federal Regulations 371.3C topic, otherwise known as the Transparency Regulation. As you've heard here more than once, I know, TIA wants to remove that particular regulation, arguing that it's outdated and not reflective of how brokers and carriers work today. TIA's petition follows what small carrier interests have already petitioned for to in fact beef that regulation up a bit uh, to automate broker fee disclosures and prohibit contract waivers to the reg uh, variously. Take time to read FMCSA's notice though about potentially issuing formal guidance on dispatch services too. They ask a series of very specific questions that the discussion today pertains to to a great extent. Find a link to the docket on regulations.gov for the request uh, via my Channel 19 blog post for December 4th, 2020, which also houses this podcast. Meantime, that's all for now. Thanks for listening, and thanks to this edition's sponsor, First Guard. The Overdrive Radio Podcast is a production of Overdrive Magazine. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Editorial Director Max Heine, Overdrive Extra Contributor Paul Marhofer, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, News Editor Matt Cole, and Executive Editor James Gillette. Until next time, keep it pro out there.